This is cool. You guys are really close. This is, uh, this is the first time I've been able to teach in this new building. It's kind of exciting. I got the podium because I don't think this can contain me. <laughs> so, um, like I said, this is the first time I've been able to teach in the new building. This is the first time I've been able to teach at LifeSpring Bible Church. So I'm excited about that. And this morning, uh, we're going to continue our sermon series called Shape Up, where we examine some different shapes and different tools that can help us to share the gospel and to just kind of live the gospel in our everyday life. So I've titled this sermon, uh, In Community, hashtag church me, hashtag LifeSpring AK. It came, it came to my attention in the last couple weeks that we have some people in our body that don't know how to hashtag things on social media. So if you don't know how to hashtag things, you don't know what it means, tell me. Because for the last couple weeks, uh, I was just talking with Will Bynum about this on Friday. I had this idea that if, if we were all taking pictures on be that Facebook or Instagram or whatever and hashtagging them, LifeSpring AK, we could kind of see what everyone was doing throughout the week. It'd be so cool. So anyway, being the, the, the youngest, maybe by far, of the elders. <laughs> I felt inclined. I felt like I had to say that. Okay. All right. <laughs> so anyway, last week, Eric Gonzalez did an amazing job unpacking uh, the up of the triangle, right? The triangle um, as to how we can experience God uh, as with ourselves collectively, and then how we can reach out and, and reach out to the world beyond. He explained to us what it means to walk humbly with our God and to seek God constantly, to allow ourselves to engage in the pursuit of him that God placed inside of us, inside of man, when he first breathed life into Adam. And personally, for me, Eric helped me to identify this sort of void inside myself that cries for more, right? That cries for more understanding and more experience of God himself and of life with him. I think that the fundamental desire of each of us is to truly know our creator and to live life seeing and hearing and feeling him at every step of our lives, right? And like Eric pointed out last week, once we begin to truly walk humbly with him and to experience, and once we allow ourselves to live in community with him, then we sort of allow his light to naturally penetrate all the darkest parts of our lives and the darkest parts of our souls, right? And as a result, the natural experience in this is to begin to transform and to want to share that with our community, with the people that are closest to us, with our family and friends. And then, moreover, to begin to push out and push out into the world beyond and to begin to share the gospel, to demonstrate what God is doing in our lives. So it's in that that we see the up connect to the other two angles of the triangle. We see our relationship with God transform and demonstrate through the other two angles. So, being as we're going through in, as we're going through community, over the last several weeks, Greg's nice to me, he gives me like six weeks to prepare these things, so over the last few weeks, it seems like my life has been really community-focused, that I've been like sort of viewing everything around me through this lens of community and evaluating community around me, community at, uh, at work amongst my coworkers, community amongst total strangers that I may be observing in a coffee shop, maybe a little creepy, but anyway, uh, and then even community amongst my own family. And I think that I've seen good and healthy examples of godly community that has serve to encourage and support and uplift its members. But I've also seen some evidence um, and some examples of, of broken, empty, failing community that sort of leaves this wake of anger and sadness and isolation behind. So 
Once I've been sort of looking at community in general, I couldn't help but look closer at our community, at LifeSpring, at our church, at the body of Christ. How are we doing? What's our sense of community? And in some ways, I think that we're healthy, that we're thriving. Um, in other ways, I think that we're horribly off course. I think that we're broken. So as I really spent some time praying and considering the idea of community, God seemed to be pointing me to Acts, four, uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47. So that's our scripture today, Acts 2, 42 through 47, if you want to get your Bibles out. I'll read it for us all, but I want to set the stage a little bit. So in this section of text, Jesus has died and has risen, and the apostles are beginning their own uh, ministry, basically without Jesus for the first time. And as they're doing this early in Acts, we're only in Acts 2, but early in Acts, we begin to see thousands of people coming to Christ, thousands of people starting to follow Christ. And as a result, the church is formed, the body of Christ is formed. And I think in Acts 2, we get the first view of what that really looks like, what being the body of Christ really looks like. So the text says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. So, in these first few verses, I think we see the in of the triangle functioning as it was designed to function. We see a community of believers begin to live life together as the church. In fact, we see the church beginning to be the church. And in this text, I think we see four essential elements of community, four sort of pieces that we can incorporate into our own sense of community. So I want to unpack them one by one, but first... I have a disclaimer, and that's that I do not have this all figured out, obviously, right? So please don't sit there and be like, oh, Ryan's being a hypocrite up there. But because you be preaching to the choir, God's been sort of convicting me of that for the last several weeks, to put it lightly. So before we get into the four elements of community, I feel convicted to remind us of something. Uh, it might be the meat and potatoes of this whole thing, actually. It might be the critical statement, because until we understand this, then we can't even begin to have a conversation about community, especially about Christ-centered community. So here's the statement. Are you ready? We are the church, right? Tammy and Zach and Allery and Nicole and Greg and Pelzetta, right? Travis and Lindsay, we are the church. This is Wayland Baptist University, which is a building. We say things all the time, like we say, hey, where do you go to church? Or, oh yeah, I was busy, I had church on Sunday. I was at church on Sunday. But I don't know that we really even recognize what we're saying when we use the word in this context, right? Because if you were to approach one of the members of the Acts Church, and you were to say to them, hey, where do you go to church? They would look at you like you were crazy, right? They'd look at you like you were speaking a foreign language. It would be a foreign concept to them. Because in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, there's only one word that's used for the church. And it's the Greek word ekklesia, which means a church, congregation, a group of people gathered together. And in the Strong's, it actually gives the um, caveat 
that the word is never used to describe a building or a meeting place. Somehow, over time, we have separated ourselves from the church, right? We have conveniently made the church something that we can sort of come and go from as we please. We've made it an event to be attended rather than recognizing it as a living, breathing organism that it is, rather than recognizing it as real people that are just trying to make it. And see, the problem is that we have to stop referring to the church like it's some sort of a suit coat that we like can put on on Sunday mornings and wear out of the house and then come back in the afternoon and take it off and hang it back up in our closet and just leave it there until next Sunday, right? We have to start being the church, start living as the church. When we treat the church and our involvement like it is a suit coat to be worn, then we cheapen it. We cheapen our relationships with each other and we cheapen our relationships with God and our ability to give Him glory in our community. In order to actually embrace the reality of Christ-centered community, and in order to actually enjoy all the fruit that can come out of pressing into God together, out of the up, out of finding our true identities together, and embracing community, the in, and out of reaching out to the world beyond and spreading the gospel together, the out, in order to actually embrace any of that, we have to start stop coming to church and start being the church. Because when we come to church, when we simply attend church, we, we create this attitude of consumption that somehow the church was made for me. It's an attitude that I'm here to be served rather than to serve. But see, the church isn't about us. It's never been about us. It's never been about me. It's about us reflecting glory to God. It's about our community being glorifying to our Father. And until we start seeing the church as something that exists and celebrates and hurts and wants and needs and lives life and prays seven days a week outside of these four walls, then we're just going to miss it. We'll miss the ability to experience him collectively with our closest family and friends. We'll miss the ability to share testimonies with one another. We'll miss the ability to grieve together, to protect each other, to pray for each other, to laugh together, to eat together. We'll miss it all, right? Because until we recognize that this is all for God and that we are the church, it's, it's, it's pointless. We'll be together on Sundays, but we'll be alone 22 We'll be alone six days, 22 hours, and 30 minutes on the other time of the week. We'll be a family, a church family, full of total strangers. So if we go back to our scripture, we see in verse 42 that the first essential element of community is devotion to teachings. To the teachings, specifically. I like the way that the King James Version phrases it. It says that they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine. It's up, right? It's exactly what Eric talked about last week. And then maybe it seems a little overly simplistic that the first critical step of in is to look back up. You see, continuing steadfastly in the teachings, embracing the gospel, it's going to unlock a portion of our own up relationship. And this is critical because we have to understand that the, one of the most important things about Christ-centered community is that it's not about being served, but rather about us serving and bringing glory to God collectively. Eric referenced the book Vertical Church uh, last, last week, 
And if you haven't read it, it's an amazing book. Disclaimer, I'm like halfway through it. Thank you, Lindsay and Travis, for letting me borrow it. But it's a really awesome book about uh, a church that has a purpose, that has a, is living for God, right? And in his book, in Vertical Church, James McDonald says, instead of seeing ourselves as people trying to connect with people, let's see the church as people trying to connect with God and help others do the same. See, when establishing community starts with us and our desire to have friendships or um, just belong to something, when it starts with us, or maybe when it over time begins to like morphing into building godless community among people, then we've built our foundation. The very base of our community, the very base of our church has been built on shifting sand, right? And we won't survive the smallest of trials because we have no foundation. Our foundation is God. That is the, that's what brought everyone into this room today, right? Is their pursuit of God and their desire to do it collectively. Later in his book, James McDonald says, when God exists to serve the creature and the church is about meeting my needs, then we're sailing the ship of our own souls towards the rocks and will run aground in idolatry. Church without God will quickly fall prey to idolatry. And once again, we'll make church something about, about being together, or about singing songs, or about listening to a lecture, and we will have missed the, the point, and we'll miss the design that God created for us to be able to experience him collectively as a family. Devotion to the teachings is important on a second level, too, uh, the teachings in the scripture are sort of this instruction manual for us, right? An instruction manual for how we're to relate to each other. So community is great, and we all know that. We all love that. We all want to have great friends and have parties and enjoy everything. But I think one of the biggest ways we, that we fail our community is in our lack of willingness to commit to each other when times are bad, when things are hard, when life gets messy, when it's a little bit hairy. I don't know if it's that we don't know how, like we don't know what we're doing, or maybe we're just afraid to somehow get too involved in something, but we tend to just sort of like, ooh, geez, that's you know, just, just going to back away just a little bit, right? I think I told this story a few weeks back, but uh, a couple months ago I had this friend, and he and I were having a little bit of a disagreement, and it was a disagreement that is silly now, I can look back on it and laugh, but at the time it was something that I thought was going to sort of change the whole dynamic of our friendship. I thought... This is, this is going to be over. I was really grieving it, to be honest, because this is a very, a very dear friend of mine. And I went to Greg uh, for advice. And like any good mentor does, Greg pointed me first back to the scripture. And he said, well, hey, man, do you love this guy? And I said, of course I do. And he goes, okay, well, why don't you just go to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and read the characteristics of love, and then just, like, do that. <laughs> so I was like, well, thanks, Greg. But I did, and as I was reading the text, literally in that moment, God removed this burden from me, and he called me into deeper relationship with both him and with this friend. He said, Ryan, it's not about that, don't you see? Stop being so offended. Be patient. Be kind. Hold no records of wrong. God's voice and his word will guide us through relationship, even when it is a little hairy, even when things are difficult. So if you find yourself, I find myself in doing this a lot, right, where you sort of start turning to your own devices or you start asking the friends around you, like everyone for advice because you're like waiting for someone to tell you what you want to hear. So you just keep asking people until they'll tell you what you want to hear. Or what I do specifically when things get a little hard, I tighten up my laces. I'm running. I'm out. When you find yourself starting to do that, 
stop for a second and remember that according to Acts 2, the first essential component of Christ-centered community is devotion to the teachings. So look up. Go back to the Word. Seek guidance, right? On conflict resolution, on grieving with a brother or sister, on accountability, on love. It's all there. God equipped us with a manual. It doesn't get much easier than that. Read the manual. See, before we can really truly embrace community and experience it the way God intended it to be experienced and embraced, we first have to embrace community with him. We first have to look back up. We have to devote ourselves to our Father and to his teachings. Because without that devotion, then the next three steps would not make a whole lot of sense. God is our foundation. So in the latter half of verse 42, it says that they were devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted. Remember the King James says, they continued steadfastly in fellowship. Now, there's a sort of word or phrase that evolved. I'm I'm assuming it evolved. Maybe I'm just making this up, but just go with it. It evolved in, I'm guessing the American church, I don't know, but I'm sure that I have said it at one point in time or another, hopefully not really recently, but we say, man, I'm just not being fed there, right? See, we have a certain luxury that the Acts Church didn't have. We have a church on every street corner. Like, I don't even know how many churches are within like a half mile radius from here, but probably a few. We have this sort of not being fed there, just come here mentality. Like, oh, I don't like the worship there, so I'm going to go to this church, but I don't like the teaching there, so I'll go to this church. But I don't like the children's ministry there, so I'll go to this church. And we just kind of bounce around. It creates this contagious, church-consumer, me-driven mentality. It's the exact opposite of being devoted to the fellowship. It cheapens real community into something that's to be traded like baseball cards. That's not working. I'll just go over here. Worst of all, it robs God of the glory that we can reflect back to him when we're functioning in a well-balanced equilateral triangle with up, in, and out. When we can actually reflect back to God the design that he created this for. So let me explain a little bit. I have a baby. Her name is Hannah. That's Hannah. (laughs) Three times a day, we put her in a high chair, we put a bib on her, and we spoon food into her mouth or around her mouth, like is in this picture. I don't know if you can see it, but this is a Travis and Lindsay's if she was a mess as pizza. So when we approach church like this, with this sort of feed me attitude, with this sort of feed me mentality, we reduce ourselves to infants that aren't capable of feeding ourselves or anyone else. We cheapen our Sunday time of fellowship with each other, our chance to seek God together as a community. We cheapen it into a time for someone to spoon feed us the gospel in a a way that's just pleasing enough to our palate that we won't spit it back out. We somehow adopt this mentality that we aren't capable of feeding ourselves, that we aren't capable of having our own up relationship with God beyond these four walls on Sunday, that we need someone to do it for us. Whether we recognize it or not, it's almost like we're saying they're giving out some God at Life Spring on Sunday between noon and 1.30 and I hope I can get enough because my tank's on empty and I don't know if I have enough to get me through until next week, right? In that moment, everything that Eric talked about, about being 
able to experience our God personally, to be able to walk with him, walk humbly with him, and seek him constantly. And everything that was wrapped up in the first point of being devoted to the teachings has been, has been lost. Church at that point has been made about me and what I can gain. It's lost its focus on God and our, our collective pursuit of him. And it shows zero devotion to fellowship. And let me tell you, one of the most frustrating things, Nicole, bless her heart, fed our first child like every night she would feed him. Well, now she's still feeding him, and I have the little one, right? One of the most frustrating things about feeding an infant is watching my own food get cold night after night after night (laughs) while I try to coax her into eating hers. Like, please, it's lukewarm now, just eat this. You see... They were devoted to the fellowship, right? The church in Acts. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were all ravenous for God themselves. They were all devoted to being sure that everyone ate. Some were still on solid food and some were on milk. I'm not saying they all ate the same thing, right? But they were all devoted to being sure that everyone ate. They were devoted to each other. What has to be addressed is not really the what we experience as a church, because I think we can all say we desire to experience God, right? We desire desire to experience his presence. But maybe what has to be addressed is our expectations for how we will experience the presence of God together and in it grow. Because rather than Greg or the elders or the worship team or the prayer team, rather than any one of these groups of volunteers doing all the feeding, what does it look like when we're serving each other? Everyone is serving everyone constantly. Because if only a few people are capable of doing the feeding, then what happens when the prayer team needs prayer? Or what happens when the teacher needs to be taught something? Right? What happens when our children's ministry leader goes out and has a baby? If no one else is capable of serving, do we just have family service for like six, eight weeks? When we're all seeking God together collectively, when we're all devoted to the fellowship, when we're all breaking bread together, then everyone gets served by everyone. And in that, God receives a tremendous amount of glory. It's all reflected back to him. So what does this look like, right? Because I'm not saying that you shouldn't be fed here. I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat when you're here, that you won't be invested in by people, that you won't experience God. Sometimes this is going to look like me feeding myself and Greg, while Greg feeds Tim and Palzetta, while Tim feeds Wes Bernier and himself, while Palzetta feeds Nicole, it's going to be messy, right? But real life is messy. Proverbs 14.4 says that where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Basically, life would at times be cleaner, definitely easier if we just sort of isolated and focused on ourselves and on only what I need or want or lack. But if that's the case, then we're going to miss out on an abundant harvest all around us that can be collected by living life in community together. Put differently, there's no ox in your stable. You won't have to deal with any crap. (laughs) Right? But all around you will be growing a harvest that you can't reap. 
So sometimes you're going to have to deal with some crap in order to reap that harvest around you. You see, we all have to be devoted to the fellowship, right? We all should be serving. We all should be breaking bread together. We all should be praying together because we are the church. This isn't the church. Greg is not the church. We are the church. When you do a word study on this section of text, you see that the word that's used for fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia means the close association between persons, emphasizing what is common between them. Even further, when you use the, this word in this context, it implies that there's two forms of commonality. The first is the commonality of belief, which we've sort of already addressed, right? How we can benefit from the commonality of belief through our devotion to each other, our devotion to the fellowship, and through our devotion to teaching. The other side of the commonality is the commonality of possessions. In verses 44 and 45 it says, they had all things in common and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So this is, this is scary, right? So okay, I can fix this. Here's what we need to do. All right, so just everybody go home today after church, put everything you own on Craigslist, just sell it all, bring the, bring the money here next week, we'll put it in one big pile, and then we'll just sort of divide it evenly, right? Because that's what it says. It's used out of context a lot in that term, in that way, actually. It's not what it says. What it says is that they supported one another's needs as needs arose. And that the fact that they were willing to sell their property and their possessions shows that they were willing to be extreme about the way they supported each other. You see, a call to community might come with sort of a what's mine is yours mentality. To the point of supporting each other's needs and even being willing to be extreme about the way we support each other's needs. And sometimes this might look like spiritual support, right? Like prayer, like mentorship, like a listening ear. But sometimes it's a little more tangible than that. Sometimes it's money that you need. Sometimes you need to borrow, borrow someone's power tools to build a shed. Sometimes you need to store something in someone's garage for a few days while you're moving. Sometimes you need a place to crash for a little while while you're between places. Maybe your washer's leaking and you just need some help fixing it, right? They had all things in common. They supported each other. Now, I know this is one of the hardest things for me to embrace because we sort of live in this culture where you have to have it all together. And we avoid all senses of vulnerability and we overemphasize our own privacy. What I'm saying is that if we don't ask each other for the help that we need, if we're not willing to be vulnerable, if we're overly protective of our own privacy, then we just may rob someone of the ability to show their true devotion to God and in the process to, for God to receive glory. On the other side, if we aren't willing to support each other, if we aren't willing to be extreme about our support of each other, then we've obviously missed the boat on devotion to fellowship also. If we're willing to sit comfortably in excess, watching someone in our own family just starve, then we missed it. Either way, whether it's by our lack of willingness to ask or whether it's our lack of willingness to provide, either way we rob God of whatever glory he stood to gain from our devotion to each other. So the question I have to ask myself is this, I guess. Do I really believe that God is capable of getting glory out of the tree goes borrowing my dip net? No. 
or out of Travis and Lindsay watching my kids so that my, my wife and I can, oh man, I opened a can, I, that, that was in my notes. <laughs> but now I'm committed so that my wife and I can go to a couple's yoga class. The question is, do we believe that our generosity and that the generosity of others within our community can be glorifying to God? We believe that when we give our money in tithes and offerings on Sunday, that can be used for God's glory. But why can my dip net not be used for God's glory? Why can what I have not be used to support my community and in the process give God glory? It doesn't make any sense. So if we believe that, then what keeps us from being generous with what God's given to us? Like, do we really have everything in common? So practically, how does this happen? Devotion to the teachings and devotion to fellowship. The word devotion used implies that there's some sort of action that's required here. So if you want to know what it's going to take, it's going to take work and it's going to take time. Specifically, it's going to take proximity. Verse 46 says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, that they broke bread together in each other's homes, that they ate together and praised God together, and enjoyed the favor of each other. So how do we make life spring feel more like that? Well, let me give you a few examples that are straight out of the text. The first one is, we spend time together. Now, Sunday is good. This corporate time of worship to be together as a full family, this sort of family reunion is good, but it's not enough, right? The church isn't a sport coat you can put back in your closet until next week. Now, I know that realistically, we're not all going to walk around as this little pack of 170 people together all week and just sort of (laughs) overwhelm every place we go. But that's not what the Acts Church did either. They had designated time of corporate worship and that they had smaller gatherings. But the key is that they did it every day. They did it constantly. I've been noticing this over the last few weeks. God sort of pointed it out to me one Sunday. But do you know how often we say to each other, we'll see you next Sunday at 1.31 on Sunday afternoon? Like, hey, I'll pray for you, but you're on your own until next Sunday. We've got to start living life together in closer proximity. We've got to start getting together for Bible studies or for coffee or just because I was in the area. We have to start visiting each other at work. We have to start going to each other's kids' sporting events. We have to start just living life and really doing life together. Number two is we need to eat together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he says yeah, but if you've, if, until you've had Will's ribs, you haven't lived. So I like this one, and I know, I know that we all do. Um, I think what's interesting is that if you take a, two people that really have nothing in common, right, and you put them around a table with some food, it's like they say to each other, well, that guy has to eat, and I have to eat, so we have that in common. Right? And for just a few minutes, even if it's just a couple minutes, we're able to sort of distract our subconscious with lasagna and just like be together and enjoy each other's presence. Number three takes it one step further. They met in each other's homes. Welcome your community into your home. God's been telling me while I prepared this, Ryan, welcome your community into your home, even if one of your children is sleeping, and if the house is covered in toddler toys, and you're in your pajamas, your sweatpants, maybe the house hasn't been cleaned in a week, invite them in. 
he sort of slapped me in the face. Ty Whitty came to see me one day, and I talked to Ty Whitty at the door. Ty and the boys were both there, yeah. And I talked to him at the door, but my kids were both sleeping. Well, one of them was. Matthew was at this point out of bed running around. But I, I honestly, I, I'm, so, I'm so embarrassed of this. I didn't even invite him in. We just stood there and talked at an open door, like awkwardly, and then it was like, well, I think Ty was like, oh, we're not going to get invited in, so I guess we'll just go. <laughs> it's embarrassing, right? Welcome each other into each other's homes. Whatever space you had, have, God gave it to you, right? This is not the church. We are the church. So why can our homes not be the church, right? Allow him to work in your space. Invite others into your life. There's a certain amount of beauty, a certain amount of like reality that comes from viewing someone's herd in its natural habitat. From like being able to see how people like, oh man, this is really cool. You're a real person. There's toys on your floor, you know? The next thing we need to do together is praise God together. Not just during times of testimony and worship on Sunday, but all through the week. If God is doing something in your family or in yourself or God is revealing himself to you, I want to know about it. Don't wait for next Sunday. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it with people. Because we all want to praise God with each other. I want to praise God with you guys. And can you imagine what it would look like if we were all sort of privy to or getting, getting reminded of all the ways God is providing for everyone in our community throughout the week, right? If Eric's testimony could spur me on midweek, how encouraging would that be? And the last piece of proximity, this is, this is the tough one, ironically. <laughs> we have to just enjoy being together, right? We just enjoy the favor of all people, enjoy the favor of each other. When we stop needing an agenda for everything, we stop needing plans for plans to make plans for an event, and we can just get together, then we can finally have the space to talk to each other and to laugh together, and to grieve together, and to celebrate together. We can just enjoy the favor of each other, right? Like, if you come for dinner at my house, I'm not going to, like, hand you an agenda when you walk in the door. We're going to eat at 6.45. At 6.50, I'll be clearing the table. 7.15, then we'll have casual discussion in the living room, right? Just enjoy being around each other. Right? It seems so silly, but seriously, do you, do, you, do you know, I have seen it happen, I've seen God be glorified with four guys in total silence watching a football game just enjoying the presence of each other. Why does it have to be this like hyper-spiritualized thing? Like, well, oh, we're gonna, we'll have a time of Bible study, then we'll watch football. No, just watch some football. Just enjoy <laughs> the presence of each other. I don't understand. We make it so much harder than it has to be. And just to be sure that the millennials and the Generation Y out there understand this, if you don't know if you're a millennial or Generation Y, it means you probably are. <laughs> so listen, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Periscope, and all the other social media sites out there are a very poor substitute for proximity. Just because you have 5,000 Facebook fans and 20,000 followers does not mean you have 25,000 friends, okay? <laughs> It does not mean that you are in close proximity with 25,000 people. You are missing it. Is it a tool to aid? Yeah, probably. But is it a substitute? No, definitely not. So if we aren't living, and I mean really living, in proximity to one another, then we're going to miss it. 
if we aren't regularly meeting with each other outside of Sunday, if we aren't breaking bread together, if we aren't welcoming each other's homes, if we aren't praising God together, if we aren't praying for each other, if we aren't just naturally enjoying the presence of each other, then what in the world are we doing? Like I said before, it's going to take work and it's going to take time, but I know personally how much I crave authentic community. And I know how, how much many of you out there do too. So if we are in fact devoted to the teaching and devoted to the fellowship, then let's let our lives demonstrate that by actually living life, by really being family on a mission. So this brings me to my fourth point. This is the last one. And that's the mission itself. Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. The mission of our church is not to all become great friends and all have this amazing relationship with God and then hoard it to ourselves. That's not, that's not our goal, right? We're to be on mission together. We're to be spreading the gospel. And as we spread the gospel, people will be saved. And as people are saved, then we add them to our numbers daily. We welcome them into our family. I think that we've all been part of some sort of community at some point where cliques existed, right? Where you come in, maybe you come into a church only to find that you're sort of this outsider. It's like cast aside. And as a newcomer, especially a new believer, we're all just desiring to be part of something, to belong to something. And if that's what we encounter is just a bunch of cliques where we're cast aside, then how exactly are you going to believe that the people inside the church are different than the people outside the church? Aren't we called to something higher than that? Aren't we called to sort of a different standard? Let's give you a clue. It's in the manual. <laughs> See, we as humans, when we're left to our own flesh, we tend to take good things and we put them in neat little boxes and then we line them up on the shelves in our homes or our offices. No change, no growth, just rows of nice little boxes of good things lined up on mantles. We stockpile good things refusing change, refusing growth. And we do the same thing to community. We're apprehensive to let new people in because they might change the dynamic. But I have a newsflash. Our church is a living, breathing organism. There will be change anyway. You can try to put it in a nice little box, put it up on the shelf, but we're the body of Christ. And when we're excitedly adding to our numbers, when we're excitedly ushering in the new hungry people and all of the beautiful and messy stuff that they bring with them, when we're putting a few new ox in our stables, then we can finally embrace the change that will come out of that and we can allow it to manifest in our bodies naturally as growth and as maturity. On the other side, if we take our community and we tuck it in this nice little box, we don't allow it to grow naturally, we don't incorporate the people that God is sending us, then that's going to manifest too. The only problem is it manifests as boredom, eventually stagnation. And then before you realize it, that little community that you put in that box is just wasting away. Atrophy is the end result. We'll waste away in the name of, we will only have, ever have one service at LifeSpring AK. We'll waste away in the name of, my house is too small for that many people. We will waste away in the name of, oh, I'm sorry, our Bible study is full. Next week, Mike's going to dish the out. 
the last aspect of the triangle, which is our call to reach out as a church to the broken world around us, to actively proclaim the gospel to this lost and dying world. And this is a big question. I have to encourage you to ask yourself if you're ready, if you're really ready, because God is moving. You'd be surprised at the number of people that have come to me in the last couple weeks and said, man, I just feel this change. I just feel movement. So the question you have to ask yourself is, are we as ready for the people that come with the movement as we are for the movement itself? If we're ready to jump on board and move with God, are we willing to accept the people that will come with that? We often sit here on Sundays and we proclaim ourselves to be family, a church family. And as I prepared for this sermon, I felt God sort of piling on some conviction about that, sort of challenging my own sense of community. Because if we're going to call ourselves family, then we better be prepared to act like it outside of 12 to 131 on Sundays. Because personally, I don't need a weekly dose of God. And I don't need a weekly dose of community, and I don't need a weekly dose of laughter or family or prayer. I hunger for it all week long. I want it constantly. My bones long to know that there are other people out there that are just like me that hunger for something with an insatiable urge that this world is not capable of supplying. I long to know that I am not alone all week, not just here. So this week, change your view. Look at what's going on around you through the lenses of community. Look at what's good and look at what's bad. And then start small. So the question is, what are you going to do this week to foster a better, source, or a better sense of community? What are you going to do this week to change it? It doesn't have to be a big, dramatic gesture. Right? If you're on the city, I've been posting some dares on the city. So let me stop and say this. If you're not on the city, get on the city. You're missing stuff. There are people that are so active. I love that Connie is active on the city. I love that she responds to my stuff. I love that Michelle Day is active on the city and responds. I love that Lindsay Hammond responds. If I post something on there, I'm, I'm hearing back from people. If you're not on there, you're missing it. So I've been posting these dares on the city. I dare you to call one person from our body today just to see how they're doing. Say hi and pray for them. Pray for them. Or I dare you to have coffee with someone from our, our church body this week. Anyone. Could be 15 minutes, could be two hours, who knows. And there's going to be more to come. I dare you to have someone into your home for dinner. I dare you to give something, anything to someone. I dare you to ask someone in our church for something that you actually need Start small. It doesn't have to be huge. So let's change it for the better, right? It might not happen overnight. It probably won't happen overnight. But let's change the way that LifeSpring does community with each other. Let's function in a way that gives God every iota of glory that he stands to gain from this collective group of people sitting in this room. Because God's been sort of telling me this the last couple weeks. I was telling Greg this last week that where we go from here today when we walk out of this room, it doesn't have to be dictated by where we've been. We have a new name. We have a new space. We can reinvent. The way LifeSpring does community 
doesn't have to be dictated by the way we've always done community. We can change it. So if you want to be part of this family, then let's really live as a family. A family that prays and praises and eats and grieves and sings and laughs and lives and works seven days a week together. Let's start being the church together. Let's pray. Father God, man, you're good. This, this is all yours, God. This whole thing that we call our church, this whole time we give, it's all really only to reflect the glory back to you that was yours in the beginning. God, we just desire and crave the experience of you collectively. Thank you for this group of people that understands that feels the same urge and is willing to partner together and collectively seek you. And God, I just pray for just a revitalization of our community. I pray that you would just build this community up, God. Knit us together closer and closer and closer so that we can feed each other while we feed ourselves all week and all the while giving you all of the glory. That you would be our foundation that you'd be the reason that we meet and the reason that we sing and that we could enjoy all of the things together. God, thank you for this design. It's beautiful. I pray for this body for the rest of this week. I pray as we go about our way that we wouldn't go alone, that that would be apparent. I pray protection, safety, I just pray that you would bless them beyond their wildest imaginations. And that God, the only response that would be possible would be for every person in this room to share with the community and with the community beyond, with the world beyond, what you're doing in their lives, God. That we would be actively proclaiming the gospel. God, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.